when the Arizona State Senate found out that I had that capability, um, they initially asked me to analyze the ballot images. Interesting enough, the company that was doing the audit called Cyber Ninjas gave us corrupted ballot images. The work we just completed just got accepted to two scientific symposium on forensic document examination. One of the journals we sent to, they, one of the leading journals, they were very afraid to publish our work. They said this was too political. It was fascinating. Okay. In fact, the Atlantic, which is a liberal left journal, and the LA Times have written two articles on this, both of which say that signature verification is a witchcraft. I created the system as we know it as email. Politicians in 1978 didn't even know what email was, so they didn't even have the laws so I could properly file a patent. I had to use copyright law. Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. I'm your host, Sri Ayer. After a hiatus of a few years, I must say, I have the pleasure of company of Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. Now, you all know Dr. Shiva Ayadurai, and we are going to talk about a topic that we have not talked before. So let me introduce our guest of the day, Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. Dr. Shiva Ayadurai, Namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Good to see you, Sri. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. And uh, doctor, you've been hard at work doing something else other than all the different things that you've been doing before. So I was uh, really, really, my curiosity was peaked when I saw that email from you uh, from the Election Systems Integrity Institute about what kind of work you've done analyzing the signatures of the voters of the Maricopa County in Arizona. This is the 2020 election, but believe me, a lot of things are coming out, a lot of revelations. But first, let's just take a step back. Mail-in voting, right? All viewers, whether it is worldwide, uh, they know that there is mail-in voting. And those of you who are from India viewers, you know, mail-in voting in India is exclusively for government officials and military people who are not in their constituency to come to vote and they can mail in their vote. But it is a, it is something that is selected where the identity is very clearly established. Uh, in other words, a common person cannot mail in their votes. However, in the United States, things have changed. And to walk us through all that stuff, I yield the floor to you, Dr. Ayadurai. Please take it away. Yes, yeah, so Sri, uh, you may remember I ran for United States Senate against Elizabeth Warren in 2018. And then I ran in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate. And if you came to Massachusetts in the primary, everyone knew our name, Dr. Shiva, you know, our name was out everywhere, every billboard. We had close to 20,000 lawn signs up. The Republican establishment ran a, a guy against me who no one even knew. And the word on the street on September 1st, which is when the primary day was, what Dr. Shiva is gonna win. When I say Dr. Shiva, our whole movement, our campaign was gonna win by a landslide. And at that point, when the results came in, we win in the pre predominantly hand counted, where they count uh, the ballots by hand, in the county called Franklin County by 10 points, and every other county was 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, so on. And that led into my journey using all of my engineering systems training to really understand how the US voting systems worked. One of the first things we discovered around September 9th was but there's a law called 52 USC 20701, which was passed around 50 years ago. And it was passed to encourage audits of elections 22 months after. So there's a congressman in the United States called Ro Khanna. Recently, he was attacking people saying you're un-American if you want to audit elections. The guy's frankly a fool because he 
claims he's a lawyer, but he doesn't understand the law. The law actually was passed by a Democratic majority to encourage audits. It was American to support audits. Okay, so he needs to go back to law school and study this. So what we discovered in Massachusetts was that they deleted ballot images. So the journey of a ballot after it's open from the envelope, it is imaged. And then the AI on the machines actually tabulates the votes and where it has confusion, it goes to what's called adjudication. Well, there's a, so that was my journey. We understood it as, as many people know in September, 2020, we led the movement against election fraud. In fact, we passed long before Trump got involved. In fact, we did the early research in Michigan and Arizona exposing what was going on. But anyway, fast forward to Arizona in late September, you know, towards end of 2020, I was called and do some of the early analysis where we exposed some of the inconsistencies. And in 2021, I was asked to analyze the ballot images because, you know, one of the companies I began was a company called Echo Mail, which we grew to a very large company. We used to do all sorts of AI analysis. It's been my area of research since I was 14 years old when I was doing analysis of sleep patterns, when I was creating the email system back in, in Rutgers Medical School and came to MIT and did many, many different projects in pattern recognition, which is really the foundations of what we today call AI. And um, so EchoMail was a company where we analyzed emails and images and all, all sorts of different things. So when the Arizona State Senate found out that I had that capability, um, they initially asked me to analyze the ballot images. Interesting enough, the company that was doing the audit called Cyber Ninjas gave us corrupted ballot images. Okay. And had we, and then it was only in December that we got the actual ballot images. Had we looked at the ballot images early, we could have saved them about $9 million. But I think the, these guys wanted to prolong the ba paper ballot stuff. Anyway, it was in November of last year, we also got something more interesting, the envelopes. So in Arizona, 92% of the voting in the largest county, Maricopa County, was done by mail-in ballots. So contrast that to a place like India, where maybe half a percent of the votes were done by mail for military personnel or civil servants. But in Arizona, 92% were done by mail. Okay. So the question is, when someone sends a mail-in ballot, how do you know that person is the person who they say they are? For example, I own an ancestral home in India. And when I have to sign things, the Indian government literally has, they send me a video link and I have to hold up my passport with my face and my signature better match exactly, but they also get a video view of you, okay? Um, so in the United States, in the, in the case study of Maricopa County in Arizona, 1,911,918 ballots were mail-in ballots. Only about 165,000 were in-person voting. Okay, so just get that, just to sort of give you the perspective. Um, when a ballot, and by the way, this is a, so what we did was um, over the last two years, last year I launched a, a, a new venture, a really a, a research institute called the Election Systems Integrity Institute. Keyword is systems. Recognizing the entire voting process is a complex system. No different than, an, you know, healthcare system, no different than an aeronautical system. And therefore, as a part of that, the goal was to recognize 
that in engineering systems, you want, you're looking for anomalies because you find those anomalies, you can create a better system. We know what happened with the space shuttle when Alan McDonald reported the O-rings were an anomaly. He was initially vilified and the space shuttle blew up. You may have said it's a little teeny weeny thing, but it's those little things that affect large scale systems. Engineers know this, politicians don't know this, lawyers don't know this. Um, so in Maricopa, I was initially asked to analyze these envelopes just to give you, uh, and I'll show you some slides on this. Yeah. Uh, the, the ballot travels in, in its casing called an envelope. The envelope is a thing that has a signature on the outside, okay? And that signature needs to be verified before you open the envelope. So how do they do that signature verification, okay? So we'll talk about that. So we did, first project we did, which we presented at the Arizona Senate, which is out on the internet, people can see, we were commissioned to simply get the envelopes and see if there was even a signature in the box. That was called signature presence detection. We found some very interesting anomalies, which got subsequently given to the attorney general. After that, we wanted to do something more interesting is literally look, compare a signature on the envelope to the signature on the file. So let me give you, and that resulted in a report we just filed. We did two reports, a pilot study and what is called an extended study. So let me share this here. This was the recent study. This was the, I mean, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of slides from this. As you can see, this was called the extended study confirms at minimum over 200,000 mail ballots with mismatched signatures counted without review and that process of called curing, okay? So to give you an idea of what happens here in um, the overall process here, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll come to this, but what we found was, and we did various scenarios of analysis, but even in the worst case scenario, 11.29% of those 1,911,918 should have been cured. They, should, they had mismatched signatures, 215,856. And again, we're taking the minimum and there's various ranges. So just we're taking the most conservative. So, so what happens here, just to understand, what is a signature verification process? So when someone votes, their ballot is in an envelope. The envelope is scanned and imaged into what's called a early voting ballot envelope image, okay? And there's one company in Maricopa, private company, which does this. All of those 1,911,918,000 envelopes were imaged. And what happens is there's an initial review that takes place using novices, what they call trained staff, volunteers. And they get about two hours of training. And what happens is literally they get a signature shown to them on the left, which is the signature extracted from the envelope. They literally look at a screen and then they get the genuine signature, which is from the voter registration files or from their um, uh, motor vehicle records. And that individual, the trained novice has to make a decision. Does this match this? They don't have access to anything else. And they get four to 30 seconds to do this. Four seconds to 30 seconds. Okay. So the process is in the initial review, the novices review it, as you can see here, if there is a match, then it is the envelope is opened and then it is, then it's tabulated. If it is not a match, they do a second level of review with a manager in this initial review, who, if they also say, and this person has more expertise, by the way, they're not forensic document examiners, okay? And if they say it's also matched, then it goes to a process called curing. During curing, what happens is they contact the voter. They have bipartisan people review it. 
they may spend three to five minutes on this. If they find out after that is still a no match, then it's designated a bad signature. Okay. If it is, if it's a match, then it's opened. Okay. Well, you can look, look at the results in Maricopa out of those 1,911,918 ballots, 25,000 were cured, which means went to this, which means yeah. they were signature mismatches. Okay. Which is 1.31%. Out of the ones that went through curing, only 587 were found to have bad signatures, which is three one hundredths of a percent of this or 2.3% of the 25,000. Okay. So I was very curious to understand. What we wanted to do is we wanted to find out what was going on. So first of all, I looked at the literature in the science literature to find out, has anyone in the world ever done a behavioral study or what you call a actual scientific study? No one has done a study of this. That's what's even fascinating. There's a lot of studies done on, you know, uh, forensic document examination of questionable signatures. Now, in that case, a forensic document examiner has a questionable signature on one hand, but they have many, many, many genuine signatures. Like, for example, if someone contests a will. So they have the questionable signature, but they have access to the person who died's many, many signatures. So it's one to many they can compare. Even in the forensic document examiner, it's not like you only get two signatures, okay? And this is a new problem in the field called visual cognition. And this field is only about 10 years old. So I found it fascinating. No one had done a research project on the signature mismatch rates of on ballots. And in fact, the work we just completed just got accepted to two scientific symposium on forensic document examination. One of the journals we sent to, they, one of the leading journals, they were very afraid to publish our work. They said this was too political. It was fascinating. So it turns out the mainstream academics are not doing any research on this, which is even more fascinating. One of the most important systems, the elite establishment, Stanford, MIT, Harvard, don't do anything on this. Okay. In fact, the Atlantic, which is a liberal left journal, and the LA Times have written two articles on this, both of which say that signature verification is a witchcraft, calling it written with error. So even on the left, they consider this a black art and the right doesn't like it. So this is a big elephant in the room. So when we did our audit, as you notice in the, in the audit of 2000, there were all sorts of, there's three sides really to the audit. One is that people just deny there's a problem. Then there were grifters. People are throwing up all sorts of nonsense, you know, making money off saying, oh, there's election fraud, election fraud, et cetera. But they weren't really bringing up anything substantive. So the deniers could easily destroy them. And you, it almost makes you wonder, were these people created by the deniers? Because some of the outlandish claims that they were coming up with was nonsense, you know, talking about bamboo paper and all this kind of stuff. But there are significant issues. One of them is signature verification. So what we did was we literally... What we did was out of those 1,911,918, which I think we're the only organization in the world which has the repository of such uh, data, we selected 2,770 envelope signatures. We had done an earlier pilot study. We selected around 500, and we had found out that there was a mismatch rate of around 12%. But 500 out of 1.9 million is about a 95% confidence level. So in order to... Um, cut off our critics, we did a much larger study, which this would be close to 99% confidence. And so we had three groups of people, 
or, or sorry, two groups of people, three trained novices who, as you're noticing here, were given 2,770 samples they had to look at. An image on the left, which was a genuine signature, I mean the questionable signature from the envelope, and then the genuine signature. Now, the county of Maricopa didn't want to give us their, their you know, signatures that they use for. So what we did was we were very fortunate. We went and found a public repository of deeds when someone buys a home. Yeah. And those signatures, in fact, are higher quality because they're notarized. Yes. Unlike So we literally, as you're no noticing here, we presented these signatures to the novices, the three novices and the three forensic document examiners. So we had two different groups, novices representing what Maricopa County had their trained staff and the managers represented by these three forensic document examiners. These are people who are brought into courtrooms to decide if a will is right, if someone murdered someone, right? That kind of stuff, okay? So we presented them and they had only two choices, match or no match. And these were the results by the forensic document examiners, as you can see here. Okay, so you can see they were saying, I mean, it was a wide range from 12% mismatch all the way up to 66% mismatch. Remember, Maricopa only said 1.3% mismatch. Right, right. Okay? So you can see the samples we did. And these are, the, these are the different sampling rates, okay? Then what we did was for every, so across all those 2,700 samples, every ballot, remember we have three people voting. Yes. So we literally did what's called simple thing that we calculated what's called a probability density function and did the averaging. So we found out 41.15% of the time, if you looked at every ballot, you know, in one ballot, maybe two FDs were said it was mismatch. One FD said, no, it's not a mismatch. So if you do that entire density function, you find out 41% of an expert, 41.15% of experts would have said this signature mismatch rate. Okay. That means if you multiply 41% by 1.9 million, that means nearly 786,000 ballots would have been mismatched, okay? Not so, 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 Sorry to interrupt you, just one second. So the all three were presented the same set of- uh, Yes. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, all Go three, were, and, and so what every line here represents, so this line that goes up to 100% mean all believe that ballot number, whatever that was, was, mismatch. Hmm. If you see something at 0%, wherever you see the spacing, that means they thought that was a match. Okay. And you have varying levels. Okay. All right. So, but the bottom line is if you look at all the experts, they would have flagged 786,000 signatures as not matching. Okay. All right. Then That's we did a very the same. High number. <laughs> it's a very high number, but yeah. now we did the same with the novices because that's who yeah. Maricopa uses. Right. And remember, the novices don't have as much of an eye, but they're at a lower rate, okay? 12.7, upwards of 21. And again, if you do the same thing here, see more of them they're saying are matches. And here you find out 18.02%. So that means in this case, 344,000 ballots should have been cured, which means they should have been sent to that curing process before they were opened and counted, all right? Now, we did something else. This is just at a... At, if you just use novices, it would have been 344,000 ballots, the trained novices. If you use experts, it would have been close to a quarter of a million. But in Maricopa, I remember in the initial review process, they initially have the novices review. And if they say something's a flag is a mismatch, 
then it gets sent to the experts. So that in probability, you would say two people have to both agree. That's a joint probability. Okay. So we simulated the same. And let me show you the results of that. Okay. So what we did here was we said, okay, what happens? And this is sort of not to get too complicated. It's a two-step process. E represents all the 2,700. Uh, by the way, we threw out some ballots where we knew the genuine signatures didn't match. Okay. We're the right one. So it's, it's a little bit less. But anyway, you have all of these ballots coming in. And if alpha represents a mismatch rate of the trained staff, then E dot alpha is how many ballots make it out of the first level. Does that make sense? So that means yep. these yep. many people have said mismatch, the, the novices. This one then gets it to the managers who have a multiplied by their mismatch rate. And then this is what you would get where gamma is alpha times beta, the mismatch Got rate. It. Of both. Got it. We yeah. literally calculated all of this. And what we ended up finding was you get this different profile. And this comes to 11.29%. So if you use this and this, the joint probability, you would find, again, being very, very conservative, you would find if both pairs of eyes looked at it, that means 11.29% of the 1.9 million ballots would have been mismatched, which means you would have found 215,000. Very, very conservative, okay? So what we have calculated, again, this is for the first time a study like this has ever been done. We have, everyone has said this signature verification is flawed. It doesn't make sense, but this is, in science, we wanna know by how much, okay? And the how much is 11.29%, 215,856 ballots should have been cured, which means they should have gone to the next level before the ballots were opened. So that is the net of it. And so if you look at here, are the three different scenarios that we have, 11.29%, 41%, 18%. Again, our study said, even if you look at this, the worst case, 215,000 should have been cured. So anyway, three, we can bring, so that was the study that we just did. Um, the important thing to understand is that when mail-in ballots first started, maybe like in India, right? It was only half a percent, 2%, 3% of people. But now over time, it's become 90% in the case of Arizona. So 90% are going through this mail-in ballot process. And the critical path of that is the decision if that ballot should be open if the signatures match okay now in a case like arizona where the election was decided by 10,000 votes and we're finding is 200,000 ballots weren't properly cured and by the way the curing process was something that the quote unquote the left wanted because they were saying hey signature verification is discriminates against poor people against minorities people who um, didn't learn how to write so they may have varying types of signatures so therefore, the compromise was we will have curing, where if it doesn't match, then we'll do a further review. We'll call them up on the phone. But now we're not having enough even being cured. Okay? So this is the first scientific study which has shown the actual percentage, which is 11.29%. So that's the critical point. And what's fascinating is, you know, typically when, you know, in the past when I put something out, you typically have the left or the right attack you, right? Yeah. And what's been interesting on this three is crickets, absolute silence, because both parties are aware of this, the establishment wings, but they don't want to talk about this. In my view, when you look at the system like the O-ring and the space shuttle, 
the entire election systems in the United States is various points where there are leakages. One of them is the chain of custody. One of them is signature verification. One of them is the fact that AI systems are counting the votes. And I bet you if you ask 99.99% of the legislators in the United States don't even know what is a vote. Like how much of that circle has to be filled in for the AI to detect it as a vote. So we're, we live in extraordinary times because these processes, systems processes are taking over the world, complex systems processes, but most politicians don't even know what a complex system is. So when the Election Systems Integrity Institute is hosted in our research center called the Center for Integrative Systems, which I started right after I left MIT because I felt there was a dearth of bottoms up broad understanding of systems. We live in a world of complex systems. And I know we'll talk about it in a follow-up video that I've created an entire curriculum, which we teach people on the intersection of the systems of freedom, the intersections of science, truth, and the intersections of health, truth, freedom, and health. And we live at a point now that all of these systems we live in are complex systems, you know, integrative systems. Um, in the old day, a car was just a car or a telephone was a telephone. But this phone right now is a complex system. It's connected to GB GPS. It's connected to apps. You, you can be watched in different ways. When you drive with self-driving cars, a car is not just an individual car. You're part of a complex system. An election system is a complex system. And if politicians do not understand the nature of these complex systems, they're going to be 20 years behind. You know, I talked about this when we talked about the invention of email many years ago. I created the system as we know it as email. Politicians in 1978 didn't even know what email was, so they didn't even have the laws so I could properly file a patent. I had to use copyright law. It was only 1994 did politicians understand that software is a digital machine. And then they created the law for patents support. We're at that same point where politicians are 15 years behind and they don't understand that the signature verification systems are completely flawed. Maricopa in their manual, they boldly say that this is a rigorous verification system. So, you know, I could, one could argue that the many, many countries, quote, quote unquote, developing nations and quote unquote, third world countries don't even allow, you know, mail-in ballots. You know, when you show up, you have to show your ID, you have to show your passport, you have to show multiple forms of ID to validate your you. So in the field of what, what this is called identity science or object recognition matching, it's a very interesting field that the methodology that we're using is a novice who gets around two hours of training to four seconds to 30 seconds to decide if something is a match or a mismatch. So there you go. Fascinating, Dr. Shiva. Now I want to ask you, what are the steps, next steps? I mean, you've def definitely done all these work for a certain purpose. And what is that purpose and where do you think the logical end lies? Well, first of all, I mean, the essence of this is that mail-in ballots with the current signature verification model is flawed. And anyone, I mean, both left and right say this. So here's an opportunity to unite people versus pro election fraud, anti-election fraud, right? This is a substantive big elephant in the room. So my view, as I mentioned to you many years ago, I think a couple of years ago, was that election day in the United States should be a holiday. It should be done in person, 99%, except perhaps you have disabled people, people who can't, they're overseas. The mail-in ballot process should be a rare, it shouldn't be 90, 90%, okay? 
It should be a rare occasion when that's done. Um, so that's a broad answer, you know, what needs to be done. If people are going to do processes like these, then you need a very different signature verification model. I mean, uh, I think I mentioned to you in India, when I had to sign one of my documents, I literally got a video link sent to me. I had to hold up my passport. They saw my picture. I had to hold up my signature. And I think that video was a 30 second video. Probably went, it was an asynchronous thing. It wasn't real time. Someone probably looked at my picture. It was almost like they had me in person, right? Right, right. So, which is a pretty interesting model. So one could argue that the, I mean, obviously their places are perfect, but at least in that space for the largest democracy on the planet, India, they at least, I think, have put some very clear bounds that they will not accept mail-in ballots. And if they do, it's very limited. And even in any of the signature processes India has on other documents, they make it very strict. And I think this is a very, very uh, big area that needs to be fixed immediately if you're going to use mail-in ballots or the other opportunity is limited and get rid of it, right? So that's my uh, position on what needs to be done. Absolutely, Dr. Shiva. And uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts on this. This is just the beginning of how this exercise is being held. Uh, you know, we're not choosing any sides here. Uh, and we are just presenting the data as it comes. And, and we have to see what kind of corrective action, if any, will be taken. One question I have before we move on to the other topic, uh, Dr. Shiva. What do you think of new technologies such as blockchain, where you can change your vote if you want to, as long as the identity is established correctly, uh, then everything is on a chain and you can even enforce 100% voting. You can be anywhere you want, but you have to vote. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So if you look at blockchain, right, it is a function of, you know, there's a cryptographic methodology that's used there, right? And I don't want to get into the details of it. If we can. Right, right, right. But remember, one of the aspects of blockchain, and it's interesting because blockchain's taken off. You can do a lot of stuff, by the way, with relational databases, believe it or not, linked lists, which you can do in a very similar way, right? But blockchain's a big buzzword right now, and it's out there. However, it is based on a limiting factor that people can't break the cryptology, okay? Or the cryptogra cryptography, okay? Yeah, yeah. But there's another technology that's going to be coming. It's called quantum computing, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When quantum computing comes, you'll be able to, I mean, it's going to be a game of computing versus the prime factorization problem, right? You're going to be able to break some of these things too, okay? Because you'll be able to do it. So whoever has a better computer may also be able to insert themselves and be able to play with these methodologies, you see, or also break those prime factorizations. So right now we're basing it on a prime factorization model, and that's how the link lists or whatever the, the chain right, is created. Right. Blockchain, right, 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 right. Yeah, but right, what right. happens, you know, 10 years from now, you have computing that's on your desktop that anyone can start breaking these, anyone can start mining, et cetera, right? You, you um, have a point, Dr. Shiva, but before somebody breaks into a voting system, your personal banking, such as buying from Amazon, online sales will all be broken first because there is immediate money there. So, right. I mean, yeah. so you, you, you're right. Quantum. Uh, right. So what I'm saying is that I think ultimately the question that we need to ask is this is actually a socio-technical systems problem. We tend to think that we just apply you know, faster, uh, more powerful technology, and that's a solution to a problem. And that may not be the case. It may be the case, sometimes the best technology is something called paper. 
something called right. in-person. That too That's is right. a technology. That's right. That's right. I think what's happening is the people who are making these decisions about what technology should be used are, te are technocrats. And the technocracy model may not be taking into account these other human factors. That should also be counted. And it could actually be potentially cheaper, faster. I mean, look, Brexit, that entire vote was done by, you know, they did it in a few hours. By, right, right, right. You know, right, right. so there's nothing saying that paper is bad, you know? Yeah. Um, and paper may have, maybe paper and you scan it and you put it up online so everyone gets the ballots and everyone could run their own systems to verify votes. So I'm, I'm not a, a proponent of thinking you just throw technology at something or whatever they call technology, right? Basically faster computing because the issue is who now controls that, right? So I can tell you right now, we did another project in Maricopa where we analyze the ballot images. And what we found there was that the AI on the machines is deciding. So let's say there's Trump, Biden and Jorgensen Let's say Trump's circle was filled in 90% and there was a little two specks on Biden and Jorgensen. That, what is deciding if that's a vote or an overvote or an undervote, it's called? Right, if, right, right, right. So the machine is deciding, but do the legislators even know what, that, what the machine was programmed into? And this is something no legislator knows. So we sit on this very interesting point that I bet you, again, getting if you asked a in the old days, there were very clear standards. Okay, you had to circle that vote in. If it was 50%, it's not a vote, you see? The actual pencil or pen circling in. The machines are making those decisions. They could be doing them right, but you could have the O-ring situation where you're allowing a machine. And we noticed this where there were votes when we analyzed all the 1.9 million, 1 .9 million ballot images, that there were cases where there, were, there was a vote assigned for Biden. The machine said in the flag is vote, but later on, someone decides to take it and adjudicate it and assign it to Trump. How did that happen? What were the guidelines that allowed them to pick that, do that? And I don't think any of the legislators know this. There were anomalies like this. So the bottom line is we're outsourcing our decision-making to machines, robots, which are owned by private companies. And if you're going to do that, there should be, the legislators should say, no, we own that robot, just like we used to own people who are doing these, and these are the standards. Those standards don't exist that are in bills, in actual laws on how much, what is a vote. So that's another emergent uh, piece that we noticed. So I think in, in a sense, what we are saying is vote in person, manual count. Then there's, you know- I think, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, they've done this. I mean, it isn't that hard when you have local, and my views, election day, which I said two years ago, should be a national holiday yes. and young people should participate in this counting. They should see how this works. I mean, the fact that we're moving, ah, just vote, send it in on a mail and something happens. It's showing that you're in some ways denigrating the democratic or the honoring the democratic pro process. That's what I think is happening. Thank you so much. I think uh, we've uh, got a very fascinating study here. We'll wait and see how things play out. Thank you very much, Dr. Shiva. And we'll be back again, viewers, with uh, more, in, uh, you know, such informative talks with uh, Dr. Shiva. Thank you, sir.